Hi everybody, Pete Sardis for the Lore You Know, and today we are talking about Hulu's miniseries, The Dropout, episode three. This is your only spoiler alert. I'm gonna talk about what happens in the episode. We're gonna talk about what's true, what's true-ish, and what's false. So if you haven't watched the episode, this is your only chance. That being said, if you like this episode, give me a thumbs up. If you're enjoying the series, please subscribe. And as always, leave me questions and comments below. Specifically, I've asked this a couple times, you know, in the previous videos. If you like me going through the episodes and just kind of doing an analysis, that's fine. I am happy to do it. If you would just prefer me to focus on Sonny Balwani's trial, I'm happy to do that. But I need to know what you all want so I can give you the content you desire. So just let me a comment below so I know what you want. With that, let's talk about episode three. I think the start of episode three is genius. And what the start of episode three is, for you younger folks, 2007, it's the day that the iPhone launches back in 2007. And this is huge. And I will tell you, this is the time in history where we all went from, you know, flip phones and, you know, texting by pushing the buttons. And some of us had, you know, for business purposes, our Blackberries, which are little boxes with keyboards on them. This was the paradigm shift from that technology to a touchscreen, liquid crystal, device that could do multiple things other than just phone call and text and email. You know, the iPhone from day one could you know get on the internet. It could do all kinds of amazing things. And it was Steve Jobs' company, Apple, that had actually put this out there. So for Elizabeth Holmes, I think this was a exciting time in her life. Yes, she goes and gets an iPhone. Yes, I think she realizes that she is at a time in history where technology and innovation is huge, and she believes that she's on the cutting edge of changing the world with Theranos. So there is a part of the episode where she goes, and she obviously has a breakdown, and she breaks her phone, and she goes into the Apple store, and she makes a sales associate cry. Do I think that part is true? I don't. I just don't think that Elizabeth Holmes has exhibited that type of volatile character to go to somebody and just purposely, you know, bring them to a point of tears just to be cruel. Do I think that that Apple Store uh, visit to buy her iPhone, you know, gave her, you know, gumption to go and make Theranos the next big thing? Yes, I absolutely do think that that happened. But I don't think that she went in there and was really cruel to anybody. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about is there is a portion of the episode that focuses on Elizabeth Holmes kind of showing up in a tank top, spilled her coffee, you know, and she goes inside to talk about the construction project of the Theranos building. In that scene, it shows her talking to Avi Tavanian, who was the right hand of Steve Jobs at Apple. He had left, obviously, to join the board at Theranos. And he starts to ask her about, you know, does Novartis, what's going on with Novartis? Do we have a deal? I haven't seen any documents. So where's the paper? Where are the contracts? And he's grilling her and she's putting him off and putting him off and finally says, look, I, I gotta go. We, 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 I gotta do things uh, and, and get this thing moving. I don't have time for this. We'll talk about it later. Avi then goes to Don Lucas and says, look, you know, this is crazy. What are we doing here? I don't think this is thing's gonna work. Don Lucas in the episode fires Avi on the spot. Did that happen? Yes. And in fact, I think the episode three uh, writers did a great job of capturing exactly how this happened. Because again, if you talk to people that were really there and you look at the interviews, they say that Avi actually showed up to Don Lucas's office with hundreds of pages of documentation. 
financial statements, um, you know, documents from the uh, the design team, the development people, and I mean, the evidence was clear that you know the Theranos technology didn't work. And Don Lucas throws Avi out and tells him he's fired and he's resigning from the board now, this evening. That's actually how it happened. Speaking of Don Lucas, at some point though, there is that scene where he has issue with her and he tells her that there's a vote of no confidence because he recognizes there are some problems with the contract. So he says, you're gonna you know, come in tonight and Elizabeth Holmes gives this you know, very uh, impassioned speech for a couple minutes and they all reconsider. Did that happen? Yes-ish. And what I mean by yes-ish is, did Don Lu uh, Lucas tell Elizabeth Holmes that he was gonna tell the board that they needed to discuss her role? Yes, that did happen. They were going to strip her as CEO. And at some point she did go to the meeting, but it wasn't a three minute empowered speech. Apparently they had hours of discussions and she did, meaning Elizabeth Holmes, did change the minds of the board and kept her seat. Do we think that that is the time where, uh, where she brought in Sonny Balwani to be the COO? No, the timing doesn't add up, but I believe that this is a part where it may have in real life told Elizabeth Holmes, I need to bring someone in here that just has experience to help me get through this. So I think it was a catalyst in the decision-making to bring on Sonny, but Sonny didn't come on board for a while. We will talk about that later. Was Elizabeth Holmes on Forbes 30 under 30 list? Yes, this is true. In fact, Elizabeth Holmes made not only Forbes 30 out of 30, she was listed as number 73 in the world's most powerful women back in 2015. And she was also listed in Fortune Magazine, which is a competitor to Forbes, 40 under 40. So yes, she had amazing accolades. Uh, she had everybody wrapped around her finger when it comes to the presentation of her ability, her intellect, her ability to really change the world with Theranos. So that part is true. The Pfizer deal. Did Elizabeth Holmes lie about the Pfizer deal? Yes, I think that's absolutely clear. Was it as brazen as the episode shows us? Yes, in fact, I think what Elizabeth Holmes did, it was actually more brazen than what the episode shows because the trial demonstrated to us that Pfizer had not sent any correspondence to Elizabeth Holmes or Theranos indicating that they were in partnership in connection, in conjunction with the Theranos Edison machine at this point to be put into the Walgreens and other retail centers. In fact, during the trial, Elizabeth Holmes admitted that she had taken the logos of Pfizer. I believe it was GlaxoSmithKline and Bristol-Myers Squibb, I, I believe, and put their letterhead, excuse me, put their logos on her letterhead to make it appear as if they had sanctioned these studies. Her testimony was a little bit different. She said she put their logos to give them credit for the information that she was putting out in the study, but you can take that the way you feel it. But yes, in fact, it is true. Elizabeth Holmes early on absolutely lied about the Pfizer deal. Again, is that because of the way she was kind of taught based on other humongous personalities in the biotech and in the um, uh, Silicon Valley tech world about how they started their startups? Probably, but in fact, Still not a reason to lie. Corporate espionage is something that we are introduced to in episode three. And that is absolutely very true. Elizabeth Holmes at some point had gotten almost neurotic about 
people stealing information or their ability to take information from Theranos and, and spread it in the public. And the reason is John Carew at this point is kind of on the scene. He's doing some digging. There are other reporters kind of looking into Theranos for multiple reasons. I don't think anybody thought fraud at this point except for John Carew. And Elizabeth Holmes actually made everyone file a non-disclosure and execute a non-disclosure agreement to include the landscaper who'd never been inside the building. So yes, very neurotic. In fact, if you listen to the testimony of a number of the employees who left Theranos, you will see that Elizabeth Holmes and her lawyer sent nasty letters threatening them. There was definitely intimidation of people if they shared any information about anything they learned about Edison or Theranos or what they were doing. They'd be sued. It'd be just, you know, scorched earth. In fact, we also know that Elizabeth Holmes actually had somebody served in the parking lot of their new job in the middle of the night with papers. It was a bad thing, but yes, corporate espionage, it did happen. It was a big deal for Elizabeth Holmes. Moving into that, let's talk about her old neighbor, a guy by the name of Richard Fuies. Richard Fuies was, in fact, her next-door neighbor growing up. Did her family actually live in his house, which was something we learned in episode one? Yeah, for a little bit, apparently they did. And did he engage in some sort of litigation with Elizabeth Holmes? Yes and no. Actually, it's the other way around from what is depicted in episode three. In episode three, you see Elizabeth Holmes in a scene talking to the lawyers and because they've been sued by Richard, by Richard Fuiz. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name correctly, so I apologize if I'm butchering it. The truth of the matter is they were proactive. Theranos actually sued him and his sons for misappropriation of trade secrets back in 2011, and Fuiz Pharma wound up filing a different lawsuit against Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos for patent infringement in 2012. So uh, I think for purposes of the movie, yes, there was litigation between them, but I think that you it's more clear to say that Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos sued them first. And then there was a countersuit in a different litigation in 2012 back from them. But yes, there was litigation everywhere involving this. And in fact, Richard is the reason that John Carew comes in contact with some of the former employees of Theranos and starts setting the stage, I guess, for the book Bad Blood. So that was the catalyst and probably not a good thing to sue this guy looking back. There's a part um, of this episode, the scene where you see Elizabeth Holmes and one of her employees go to Tennessee to do a trial, a clinical trial for Pfizer in an oncology setting. And to be clear, for those that may not know, oncology is basically cancer research, uh, is cancer. That's what oncology means. Did this happen? Yes, it actually did happen. They in fact did go to Tennessee. They did use that conduit to do a trial for Pfizer and they knew the equipment didn't work. The hard part about this really is that they didn't actually send machines home with patients so they could do the finger prick and just put it in the machine and, and test it, which was the concept of Edison. What they did was they had the blood samples taken and they shipped them by FedEx back to the home office to do the tests there. So I really don't know ultimately how many of the results that those oncology patients received were false because they were false readings from the Edison machine, or if they were just readings and blood tests done by more traditional means that gave them, you know, a correct sample. I don't know the answer. I hope these poor people, you know, didn't have to go through all kinds of 
changes in their chemotherapy because the Edison results were just wrong, but it probably did happen because this part is in fact true. It is also the catalyst that has Anna Ariola quit. And she in fact wrote an email and the email was, lying is a disgusting habit and it flows through conversations here like it's our own currency. But I really truly believe you know it already. And for some reason, I can't figure out why you allow it to continue. This happens. That's what Anna sent to Elizabeth Holmes and she quit Theranos because of the Tennessee uh, trials. Now, did a, part two of this oncology fiasco in Tennessee is the, the quitting of Anna Ariola, who was one of the designers of the actual Apple iPhone. She did the aesthetics of it. So she does in fact quit with her entire team because of this fiasco down in Tennessee. In fact, Justin Maxwell, which was one of the teammates, sent an email and the email to Elizabeth Holmes said this, lying is a disgusting habit and it flows through conversations here like it's our own currency. But I really truly believe you know it already. And for some reason, I can't figure out why you allow it to continue. True story. This was an email that was sent. And I think the, the purpose of this you know, dramatic exit is that these people know that the technology doesn't work or it's not working the way it's supposed to. And they know that Theranos just did trials on live cancer patients, living people. And they just felt ethically they, they couldn't be part of it. So absolutely great portrayal uh, by the, the writing team in episode three did in fact happen. Let's talk about Roy for a second. And Roy is the character that goes with Elizabeth Holmes to that oncology unit in Tennessee and, and he can't do it. He leaves the, uh, the, the scene, shows him walking out and saying, I can't do this. What are we doing? Did he get fired when they got back? Yes, he did. Did he actually get exited, escorted out of the building? Yes, he did. Little different. So in fact, he was escorted by the lawyer and human resource manager, not by a security team. Did they leave him out there without a car to just sit there? Yes, this in fact happened. Unfortunately, Roy hadn't brought his car that day. So when they packed his box and sent him out the door, he didn't have any way to get home. So apparently he sat there for a couple of hours until one of the other employees left work and, and, and took him home. And the end of that scene pretty much shows, you know, uh, the other uh, the other lab mate knocking on the door saying, I quit. And that in fact did happen too. A couple weeks later, uh, you know, some of those employees also left the company. Sonny Balwani. We all know that in scene three, Elizabeth Holmes looks like she has Theranos locked down like Fort Knox. Security personnel everywhere, you know, people, you know, using their key cards and they can't get into certain areas because they're restricted. They're like, what are you talking about? I need to go talk to those people. How do I get in? I think a lot of that may be a little bit of, of drama, but I think it portrays the concept that there was a lot of security at Theranos at the time, obviously because of all that trade secret espionage stuff. But you see, the point I'm getting at is you see a scene where Sonny Balwan just walks into the lab and introduces himself as an outside consultant. Is that true? No, I don't think that actually happened. What we do know is Sonny Balwani does invest money. And there's a scene again in episode three where she, uh, Elizabeth Holmes is talking to Sonny Balwani and she wants 20 million. The numbers are not 20 million. Just to be clear, the number is 13 million. That's what Sonny Balwani invested. But he doesn't 
invest and then become COO in one foul swoop. He invests the 13 million and he comes on as COO in 2009, which is about six months after uh, loaning the company money, which is again, two years after this 2007 timeframe where he apparently walked in as an independent consultant. It also is not immediately after the board meeting where Elizabeth Holmes, you know, does that uh, empowered speech and they say, okay, you know, you can stay as CEO and I'm going to bring Sonny Balwani in. That didn't happen in that timing. So let's just say that that's false-ish. But yes, obviously Sonny Balwani did come on as COO. There are a lot of scenes in episode three that I think start to give us the emotion of the Sonny Balwani, Elizabeth Holmes relationship. And there are things that Elizabeth Holmes testified to in her trial that are consistent in episode three, specifically the voice. We start hearing her practicing or you know, looking in the mirror and trying to get that deep baritone voice and to get her speech out. Did that happen? Yes. Was it Sonny Balwani's idea? Yes, in fact, it was. And he would actually make her practice these things to make sure she would stay in character, for lack of a better word, while she was presenting because he felt that that lower voice commanded more respect. We see the scene where uh, Sonny Balwani says, you know, you're working too hard, you need to take care of yourself. Drink this green juice. Elizabeth Holmes drinks it, is disgusting, goes to try to throw it away, and Sonny gets angry and violent and basically spills the, um, the entire juice drink on her. Did that happen? I don't know if that happened. Did Sonny Balwani introduce her to the green juice? Absolutely. Did he basically tell her that, you know, mind, spirit, body, business person is a healthy person? Yeah, there are text messages to that. So I believe that Sonny Balwani did in fact introduce her to the green juice. And I don't think she liked it, but drank it anyway, because that's what business people do. They overcome things they don't like or that are tough and make things happen. The next thing, we obviously see a little bit of psychological abuse starting. Uh, obviously, I believe that that is the way Elizabeth Holmes views it. I don't know what Sonny's testimony, if any, is going to be at trial, but Elizabeth Holmes obviously views it that way because that's what she testified to. I think Elizabeth Seyfried does a great job of showing the neurosis that Elizabeth Holmes was feeling at this part uh, of her life. If you look at some of the scenes where Amanda Seyfried is portraying Elizabeth Holmes, and there are actual video footage of you know the same scene, it's spot on, it's amazingly good. And I think Amanda Seyfried is doing a phenomenal job showing people in drama how Elizabeth Holmes' mind was working at this time, at least at this time at Theranos. The reality is Elizabeth Holmes kept a notepad and every day she would write down her, you know, her daily ritual was to write down what I'm gonna to accomplish today. And kind of sporadically throughout there, she would throw things in like, I am the leader, I am an entrepreneur, I am never late, you know, I am the beginning and the end of this company. All out of this just very odd behavior to try to kind of keep herself motivated, for lack of a better word. I call it neurosis. So I think Amanda Seyfried's done a great job of showing that coming through in her character when she's looking in the mirrors and practicing these very deep voice and I'm trying to make it come out so she stays in character when she's basically acting for the cameras when she goes on to television shows or when she's in front of her employees. Let's talk finally about the Elizabeth Holmes look. Um, the series seems to indicate that Elizabeth Holmes seemed very disheveled, uh, very like college you know, poor college student, you know, I'm wearing whatever I happen to find and I show up wherever I am, you know, looking inappropriate. I don't know 
if the end of episode three, where you see Elizabeth Holmes standing there with the, the quintessential black turtleneck and her oversized black jacket, and Sonny Balwani's behind her and you know, he approves. I don't know if this is really true. And the reason I say that is there is some news clips and some video from people that knew Elizabeth Holmes as a child. Uh, in fact, Elizabeth Holmes, real Elizabeth Holmes, back in 2015 did an interview and the discussion was, she started wearing the black turtleneck when she was about eight years old and she wore them as a child and she referred to these black turtlenecks as her signature uniform and she had about 150 of them. Speaking to her friends as she was a kid, they corroborate that she wore turtlenecks a lot. She's also known to wear like, uh, like a Christmas sweaters, like, you know, themed sweaters. So this is, I think, something that is not necessarily a byproduct of the Sunny Balwani, I will fashion you and you will wear this moment. But I think that Elizabeth Holmes always wanted, at least from a time that she was eight years old forward, to emulate Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs was notorious for always wearing, you know, the dark turtlenecks, black turtlenecks. So I think that's where she gets it from. That, that's just me. If you agree with me, let me know below. If you don't agree with me, if you have any other information, you know, leave me a comment below about that. But yes, we all know the black turtleneck is Elizabeth Holmes' signature, and I believe, at least for dramatic effect, it makes the point uh, in the show. The only time that you will see in real life Elizabeth Holmes come out of that black turtleneck that I've seen was during the trial, where she wore anything but a black turtleneck. And again, in the video clips going back and forth, that demonstrate the 2017 SEC deposition, you will see that the turtleneck is missing and she's in a jacket and, uh, and a regular blouse. So with that, if you've enjoyed the episode, give me a thumbs up. If you are liking the series, please subscribe. And as always, please give me questions and comments below, especially if you find no value in this and you would rather I focus just on the Sunny Ball wanting trial. With that, see you soon. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.